Well, we're going to have our Bible reading now. We're going to turn in our Bibles to Genesis 39, to the end of that chapter. And we're going to read uh, the end of chapter 39 and uh, into chapter 40. Uh, Stephen was telling me that as you've been going through the Ten Commandments, you touched briefly on um, the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 39 uh, with Potiphar's wife. We're going to sort of pick up the end of that story and, and look at Joseph in prison. And uh, all being well, draw out some lessons for us from uh, the life of Joseph. I've been looking after a vacant congregation. We've just started to do a little series on Joseph there. And it's been in my uh, head and my thoughts a little bit. And I thought it might be helpful for us to look at this today. So Genesis chapter 39, and we'll read from verse 19. You know what has happened in chapter 39, uh, Potiphar's wife has tried to seduce Joseph and he has refused and then she has framed him and uh, alleged that he has attacked her and so on. So we we pick up God's word from uh, chapter 39 verse 19. As soon as his master, that's Joseph's master, heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph, and showed him steadfast love, and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge, because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief, chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them into the custody and the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not all interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches, and as soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly uh, when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do to me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit." <coughs> When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cakes on my head and in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. 
And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat your flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Amen. We trust that God will bless to us this reading from his word. Well, if you have a Bible close to you, let's uh, turn together to those verses that we read earlier, end of chapter 39 of Genesis and into chapter 40. When I was a a kid, I learned a humorous tale that went something like this. One day, a man went for a flight in an airplane. Unfortunately, he fell out of the plane. Fortunately, he had a parachute on. Unfortunately, the parachute didn't work. Fortunately, there was a haystack below him. Unfortunately, there was a pitchfork in the haystack. Fortunately, he missed the pitchfork. Unfortunately, he missed the haystack. And and, and it sort of went on after that, and you can imagine that we had some uh, interesting and colorful variations to it. Um, Sometimes, if we're honest, our lives can all have a little bit of that sort of fortunately, unfortunately flavor about them, can't they? Things can be going well for us, and then a phone call comes, or a knock at the door, or a a meeting at work or a visit to the doctors or whatever it is, and, and, and our whole lives can be thrown into turmoil. We, we look at one week and we think, fortunately, things have gone well. We think at another week, unfortunately, things have gone on well. And we, we wonder how we're going to uh, cope, and maybe we struggle to understand where God is in the midst of it all. And one of the reasons that the Bible tells us stories and doesn't just gives us uh, lists of things to believe is that God wants us to see how he works in people's lives, how he works in lives just like ours, and what he's doing with them. And we see this in the life of Joseph. God is powerfully at work in his life. It is his purpose to take this young Hebrew lad and to bring him into a position of power and influence in Egypt so that through him, not only could he and his family be rescued, but all of God's people could be brought to Egypt and grown there into the nation of Israel and then return to the land. And, and Joseph is God's man to save. In many ways, he is the picture, of course, of a God's man to save Jesus Christ. And there's lots that we can learn by looking at some of the similarities between them. We're not going to go there today particularly, but we're going to see how Joseph is able to trust God in his difficulties. He had many highs and lows in his life, many things he had to work through. And yet at the end of his life, he was able to testify to his brothers who had acted so terribly to him. At the end of his life, he said to them, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Now, clearly, as he looked back, he was able to see that God had been powerfully at work. But of course, when he was in those situations, when he was in the midst of the trouble, he could not see what God's plans and purposes particularly were, I'm sure. When he was thrown into the pit by his 
brothers when he was being haggled over in an Egyptian slave market, when he was languishing in the prison for a crime he didn't commit. He, he didn't know that one day he was going to be prime minister of the land, that God was going to work through him in all these sorts of ways. And yet, nevertheless, he chose to live for the Lord and be faithful to him in those circumstances. And there's so much that we can learn here that especially applies whenever things don't go the way that we want them to in our lives. Now, we've broken into the story a little bit in our reading. Let's just remind ourselves of what has happened up to this point. Joseph is the favored son of uh, Isaac, and his 10 older brothers really hate him. And when they are far away from home, they ambush him, they throw him into a pit, and eventually they sell him to some slave traders. They tell his father that he's dead, and Joseph is taken to Egypt far, far away, and he's bought by a man called Potiphar, who's a very uh, sort of high-ranking military official, sort of captain of the police, captain of the guard. And uh, uh, things seem to have turned around for Joseph. He's, he's really doing very, very well. Once a, a favored son in his father's household, then a slave in a foreign land, but now he rises in, for, in, in, in Potiphar's household. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered, it says. And soon he's running Potiphar's household and things are going really, really well for him. It says that Potiphar doesn't need to pay attention to anything in his household because he's leaving it all to Joseph. And then Potiphar's wife takes a shine uh, to him and tries to seduce him. And eventually she frames him and Joseph is thrown into prison. That's where we picked up our reading. But then Joseph begins to rise within the prison. At the end of chapter 39, it says again, the Lord was with Joseph and soon he is interpreting the butler and the baker's dreams and it looks that as if he perhaps has a chance of release, someone to put a good word in for him with Pharaoh and the cupbearer has the opportunity to do that. But then at the end of chapter 23, it says, the end of verse 23 of that chapter 40, it says, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. We didn't read on into the next chapter. Verse 1 tells us uh, that it was two full years before Pharaoh begins to dream and Joseph is remembered. So what a roller coaster for Joseph. You think of his life. Uh, it's up and down. It's fortunately, unfortunately. And even at the end of this chapter, two years languishing in prison just because the cupbearer misses his opportunity to say anything about him. Mustn't he have asked the question at times, what is God doing in my life? Where is God? Hey, wouldn't you have asked that? What, what is God at? What does he have for me? What does he want from me? Well, whatever questions he asked, we have a lot to learn from these chapters and, and, and especially about the way that we would respond to hard times within our lives. Three simple things uh, to say this morning. First of all, don't be surprised whenever you go through hard times. Don't be surprised whenever you go through hard times. You've maybe got, uh, you've maybe seen or, or have a, a picture on a wall with a Bible verse on it, a promise perhaps, but here are a few Bible promises that don't tend to make it onto the walls of people's houses. John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble. John 15, 20, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Those are our Bible promises just as much as any other promises, and yet they don't really make it into the collection. They're not as popular, and yet they're equally true. Jesus is saying, if you set your heart on pilgrimage, if you set your heart on following me, 
there will be challenges and difficulties. Difficulties that come from the, the normal challenges of being in a fallen world, but difficulties also that come just because we are following Jesus. And we know that in our heads, and yet sometimes whenever those difficulties come our way, we act as if somehow it is out of step with what following Jesus is all about. The problem is we have a sort of a blessing by works mindset sometimes. And this is very natural. It's sort of hardwired into us. We know that whenever it comes to becoming a Christian, our good works don't count for anything. We know that. We come knowing that the very best that we do are like filthy rags. We can't earn our salvation. Everyone who's truly a Christian must believe that. But having become Christians, somehow then we think maybe things are a little bit different. We somehow then begin to think sometimes, well, if I live faithfully for God, then somehow he might owe me a little bit and my life ought to go smoothly now. That's the way we sometimes think. And so whenever things come our way that are difficult, we so often find ourselves thinking, why me? After all, I've been trying to be good. And the thing is, you see, that God is at work in our lives. He's at work even in our difficulties, but he is at work for our good, which involves our Christ-likeness. He knows that the very best thing that can happen in our lives is that we are more like Jesus. And so he's more interested in our conformity to Christ than our comfort. He's more concerned for our holiness than our health. And what we've got to see that in Joseph's situation, God is powerfully at work and he's just as much as in control when Joseph is in the pit and in the dungeon as he is when Joseph is in the palace. He, he was working for Joseph's good in difficult times just as much as he was working for Joseph's good in prosperous times. In fact, so often, don't we know, so often it's in the hard times that we know God's work to take steps forward in our lives most significantly. This little poem I heard Alistair Begg first quote this. He said, I walked a mile with pleasure and she chatted all the way but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and ne'er a word said she, but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. Isn't that true? Those of us who are Christians will know that, 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 that the times that we have perhaps learned more about God and, and, and known our need of him most are maybe some of the darkest points in our journey. And that was Joseph's experience. He was learning things in the disappointment of prison that God, it seems, could not teach him anywhere else. And so these things were not being wasted. That doesn't mean we seek out difficult experiences. That would be madness. It would be wrong indeed. But it does mean that when we come, when they come, we don't think that God is somehow looking the other way, that he's dropped the ball, that he's been taken by surprise. And we recognize that somewhere in all of this, though we may not understand, he is doing things in ways that will lead to our blessing. I remember during COVID, one of the, the little phrases that stuck with me was a little interview that, that John Piper did. And somebody said, you know, do you know what God is doing in the midst of COVID? And, and John Piper just laughed and he said, you know, at any time God is doing a thousand things in our lives and we might only be aware of one or two of them. We've got to believe that God is at work. So don't be surprised whenever there are difficulties. The second thing is, here we see, don't quit 
whenever we face difficulties. Let's not quit whenever we go through hard times. It would have been the easiest thing in the world for Joseph to give up, wouldn't it? He had lots of opportunities to do that. Many occasions he, should have, he could have said, well, where has my trust in God got me? It, it just seems to have led me deeper into trouble. When he was stumbling behind a camel bound for Egypt, he could have said, well, why did God let this happen? When he was lying in prison after resisting part of his wife, when he'd done the right thing, he could have said, well, what's the use of trying to do the right thing? Look where it's got me. So what's he going to do? Well, he's faced with a decision. Is he going to feel sorry for himself? Or is he going to feel that somehow God is at work and he's got to respond to what God is doing in the situation that he's found himself in? And we're not told specifically how he makes those decisions or what he decides particularly, but what he does is clear, isn't it? At some point he says to himself something like this. This is not what I'd hoped for. This is not where I'd imagined myself to be, but this is where I am. And I believe that God has not finished with me yet. I believe that somehow I'm here by his hand. And so now in these circumstances, within the limitations of these circumstances, I'm going to live for him. Those are huge decisions, huge consequences flow from that sort of decision. And it seems that he made that decision more than once. God has allowed me to be a slave in Potiphar's house. Well, fine. I'm going to be the best slave that Potiphar ever had. I'm going to honor God in every task because I believe that I'm not here by accident. My times are in his hands. You know that hymn, my times are in thy hands? My God, I wish them there. God has allowed me to be a prisoner in this jail. Fine, I'll be the best prisoner that this jail has ever had. I'll honor God in every task I have because I know that I'm not here by accident. My time, my times are in his hands. And those are big decisions because if he hadn't decided that way, we might not have this story at all. And they were not easy decisions. He was going to have to batter, uh, battle against bitterness. He was going to have to battle against self-pity. But he doesn't allow these things to grow in his heart. Rather, he says, I'm going to live for God within the limitations that my circumstances have brought to me. And God blesses him. Chapter 39, verse 20. But while Joseph was in there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warder. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those he held in the prison and he made, was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. God blesses Joseph. Joseph lives for God. It's a powerful challenge, isn't it? I wonder, in the circumstances that we're in, are we living for the Lord? They may not be ideal circumstances. They may not be to our liking. I'm sure all of us would, would choose things about our lives that we would want to be different. But are we making the most of our opportunities to live for God within the constraints that our circumstances have put upon us. Sometimes we put that off, don't we? Sometimes we, 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 just the same way that we put off becoming Christians, sometimes we think that there'll be an easier time to make that decision. Sometimes Christians, in the same way, put off that decision to sort of 
live wholeheartedly for the Lord. We say something like this, you know, I'm going to have a bit of fun now, and, and whenever I get married, then I'm going to be wholehearted as far as the Lord is concerned. Or whenever the kids grow up, it's going to be easier then. I'm going to get more involved in things after that. I, I, then I'll be wholehearted as far as the Lord is concerned. Or maybe I'm not particularly well at the moment, and I'm thinking, well, then whenever I'm better, when I'm through this difficult patch, then I'll be committed to the Lord. Just for now, I'm going to sit back a little bit. But Joseph surely shows us, if anything, that we've got to live for him, whatever the circumstances we find ourselves in here and now. I don't know if you know anything about John Bunyan. You know, he was a a great preacher, a a nonconformist preacher, wrote Pilgrim's Progress. And he was preaching in the open air at a time when that was illegal in England. And he refused to stop, and eventually he was thrown in prison. Now, what's he going to do? Will he face the same decision that Joseph faced? And he chose to make the most of his circumstances. One of the first things he did was take the legs of one of his three-legged stools. wasn't much use after that. And uh, he, he, uh, he made a flute. He carved a flute. And soon the sound of music was coming from his cell. Not, not, not the sound of music, but, you know, the sound of playing music. And, uh, and then he started to write. Uh, and he wrote Pilgrim's Progress, the most influential piece of Christian literature in the English language outside the Bible, written by a prisoner in a cell, by someone who decided, somehow, Lord, I'm here by your hand, and I'm going to be faithful to you in the circumstances in which I find myself. Sometimes we cry to God, don't we? Lord, take me out of this circumstance. Change my circumstance. And sometimes God does that. But sometimes also what he does is he changes us within our circumstances so that we will indeed sing and say, my times are in thy hand. My God, I wish them there. Joseph was in far from ideal circumstances, but he decided he would live for God within the constraints that he had upon him and God prospered him. He blessed them and and those around him could not fail to take notice. Don't give up whenever you go through trials. And and that brings us to our last point and that is don't forget others whenever we go through trials. Uh, We know that what happens so often is that whenever things get a little bit tough, our heads drop. We sort of look at our shoes and, and the ground fills our view. And that's not what happens to Joseph. He, he notices those around him because after those uh, people in the jail with him, the cupbearer and the baker, had been disturbed by their dreams, he notices what's happening with them. Verse 6, when Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? Do you see, he, he saw these men's faces because he, he wasn't looking at himself. And don't get me wrong, Joseph wasn't just blindly accepting the fate that he had and refusing to better his situation. He was asking uh, the cupbearer, for example, to remember him before Pharaoh. He was looking for an opportunity to get out of the prison. But while he was waiting, he was looking at for the needs of others. And so God, until, uh, so he tells them about God being a, an interpreter of dreams. He, he, he listens to them. He passes on the interpretation. And he's not so wrapped up, you see, in his own situation that he doesn't think about helping those around him. I think of a man, when I think of this, I used to visit 30 years ago in hospital, 
And he was dying. I, I knew that. He knew that. He knew that I knew that. And every time I saw him, he was just losing that little bit of ground. He was failing a little bit. And, and yet he would have spoken briefly about his own circumstances. And then he would have said, but anyway, that's enough about me. Tell me about the work. How are things in the church? How are things at the youth fellowship? I was praying for this or I was praying for that. How did it go? There was a man who had every reason just to be consumed in a sense with the things that were happening around him. And yet thinking of others. I'm sure you've known people like that too. When we suffer... Don't miss the chance to help others. So there's Joseph in the dungeon. He's put there by injustice. He's kept there for two years by injustice. Life is not how it's supposed to be, but he trusts God in it all, doesn't he? He's not surprised when he suffers. He, he doesn't give up when he suffers, and he helps others as he suffers, he, and he trusts the Lord with his experiences. Maybe some of us are going through hard times just now. Maybe for others, our hard times are ahead. The questions are for us, though, will we trust the Lord in those hard times? Will we, will we look to him, even if we don't quite see the reason, even if we don't see it until we're in heaven? Will we trust him in the prison like Joseph did? And let me say one other thing, and that is that, that we're never going to trust Christ with our experiences and our sufferings until we've trusted him with our souls. There are some of us who go through the hard times and we look for comfort in vain because we're not Christians. We, we've never trusted him with our souls. And if you're not a Christian, maybe you look at the story of Joseph and you think, wouldn't it be great to have that kind of confidence? Wouldn't it be great to know that as I go through life, there is one who watches over me. There is one whose hands my times are in. And the place to start with all of that is by becoming a Christian. It's by trusting Christ now, today. And then we'll be in a position to lean on him and to know that he's at work, even whenever times are hard. So, don't be surprised whenever we suffer. Don't give up whenever we suffer. Don't forget others whenever we suffer. And make sure that whatever our circumstances, we're trusting in the one who suffered for us. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you have not left us in this world. Thank you that you're the one who knows the way that we take. And we pray, Lord, that when things are not as we would wish them to be, when there are trials and difficulties and heartaches, we pray, Lord, that we will be able to know that somehow, though these things are not good, you are at work. And we pray, Lord, that you'll help us to trust you You'll help us to walk with you. You'll help us even to be a blessing to others, even as we go through difficult times. Hear our prayer, Lord. And if we are here today and we don't yet know you, Lord, save us from going through difficulties without you, indeed going through anything else without you. Bring us to Christ, we pray. And it's in his name we ask. Amen.